You are listening to Spark My Muse. I'm your host, Lisa DeLay. Today is Soul School Lesson 115. I had planned to do some things about Advent and Christmas. This is the last Soul School before Christmas 2018. But as I was pulling things together, I just felt like I was coming up dry and coming up empty. And I decided to go back to devotional classic. Some of you may be familiar with it, and others of you may have never heard of it. It's a devotional classic from way back. It's called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis can be found on Amazon.com, and I will be posting more about Thomas Akempis and his work and a little bit about the community he was involved in in the show notes for this episode which you can find at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. I'll give you an idea of what the book is about and what he was up to in his time. A lot of people understand that what we think of as the Protestant Reformation happened around the time of Martin Luther. In reality, there were other Reformations happening before that time, and Thomas Akempis was part of something going on in his time. Thomas Akempis lived from 1380 until 1471. While Martin Luther started up in 1517, he, was, he predated him by quite a bit, and so did others. In particular was a Dutch scholar named Gert Groot, hopefully I'm pronouncing that properly, and people had some troubles with what was happening within the church, which was, of course, at this time only considered the Roman Catholic Church in the West. Now, Groot had a dramatic conversion in 1374. And he joined the contemplative order of the Carthusians, where he studied spiritual discipline through study and contemplation. After that, he set off with their blessings as a traveling evangelist. Later, he formed a community ultimately known as the Brothers of the Common Life. And there was also a community for women called the Sisters of the Common Life. And this was essentially a monastic community. They lived together and they took vows and lived very much like the Benedictine monks with that kind of rule of life. So when you read The Imitation of Christ, you can bear in mind that he is writing to these people living together. So some of the writing is encouragement. Some looks and sounds like it comes straight out of Ecclesiastes or Proverbs or straight out of the Bible in Psalms or other passages in the Bible. Some of it is admonishment for dealing with things that come up in common life, like gossip or conceit or arrogance or pride or judgment uh, one against another. Some of it is about taking communion and prayer, not becoming discouraged. And there's all sorts of practical things in there too. What The Imitation of Christ includes is four short books. It's a rather small work in total, very manageable. And some of it is very strict by our standards of living because of the time it was written and also because there was a very strict rule for communal life together. I'll read you a little bit about what each book was like and what it covered, and then I'll, I'll choose a small piece to read to you. In book number one, Thoughts Helpful in the Life of the Soul. These are really short little nuggets. He writes about imitating Christ, despising all vanities on earth, having a humble opinion of oneself, doctrine of truth, prudence in action, reading the Holy Scripture, unbridled affections, avoiding false hope and pride, shunning over familiarity. That's a very interesting one. 
obedience and subjugation, avoiding idle talk, acquiring peace and zeal for perfection, the value of adversity, resisting temptation, avoiding rash judgment, works done in charity, bearing with the faults of others, monastic life, the example set by the Holy Fathers, the love of solitude and silence. Kempis is a, obviously an introvert. As you read it, you'll understand that more. Sor- sorrow of heart, thoughts on the misery of man, thoughts on death, judgment and punishment of sin, zeal in amending our lives. A lot of things have to do here with how we conduct ourselves and how we remain humble in community. If you decide to read this book, you can make sure to view it in terms of how people are conducting themselves with each other in a life that is supposed to be a religious life, a a pure life and a life devoted to love of others and service to Christ. The second book is about the interior life and becoming more like Christ, meditation, humility, goodness and peace in man, purity of mind and unity of purpose, ourselves, the joy of good conscience, loving Jesus above all things, the intimate friendship of Jesus, wanting no share in comfort, certain kind of comforts of the world, appreciating God's grace, few love the cross of Jesus, the royal road of the Holy Cross. Book three talks about internal consolation. The inward conversation of Christ with the faithful soul. Truth speaks inwardly without the sound of words. That refers more to the contemplative. Listen humbly to the words of God. Many do not heed them. We must walk before God in humility and truth. So as you can tell, a lot of these little tiny nuggets, these little chapters that are sometimes just several paragraphs, refer to having our inner world align properly to be a faithful disciple. The wonderful effect of divine love, the proving of a true lover, of course that means a lover of God, grace must be hidden under the mantle of humility, self-abasement in the sight of God. All things should be referred to God as their last end. To despise the world and serve God is sweet. The longings of our heart must be examined and moderated. Acquiring patience in the fight against concupiscence. There's that word that Augustine used so much. The obedience of one humbly subject to the example of Jesus Christ Consider the hidden judgments of God, lest you become proud of your own good deeds. Um, This is covered a lot about being humble, and it has to do with the religious life. Sometimes uh, people who are religious or who are devoted to God, especially thoroughly through common life and devoted life, can become self-righteous. So a lot of things are directed towards that. Next is how one should feel and speak on every desirable thing. True comfort is to be sought in God alone. All our care is to be placed in God. Temporal sufferings should be borne patiently after the example of Christ. True patience and suffering, confessing our weakness in the miseries of life. Above all goods and all gifts, we must rest in God. Remember the innumerable gifts of God. Four things which bring great peace. 
avoiding curious inquiry about the lives of others. That's kind of a the gossipy meddling wisdom right there. The basis of firm peace of heart and true progress. There are quite a bit more for the third book. Uh, that's the that's the longest one. I'm not going to read every single one. The fourth book is an invitation to Holy Communion, which of course was taken on a, a very, very regular basis within this community. And this final chapter goes into the great importance of participating in this sacrament and why one should do this in, in the proper way to, to come into this time, offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice, uh, how you can prepare yourself the grace of devotion acquired through humility and self-denial, the burning love and strong desire to receive Christ, all kinds of things that sort of relate to the particulars of the sacrament of communion. What's so interesting about this book in particular is how it reaches in in very practical ways to people's ordinary lives and gives direction, encouragement, admonishment, and, and refers to a, what seems like a very, very strict rule of life for people participating in religious life, a pious life of the time. It really helped people keep in check, and it was probably a very rigid way to live. I'm going to read one from page 103, and it's called, Peace is Not to Be Placed in Men. In this case, Thomas a compass is not being inclusive in his language, but men here refers to men and women. This was, uh, of course, a time when women were not included in language as well as they are today. So if you hear men, please include yourself as a woman in this as they would have in those times. I want to also mention that a lot of these passages are written with a heading that says the disciple, and then it reads as though the person who is reading the book as if they are reading from their voice. And then it'll also say the voice of Christ, as though this is the instruction from Christ. And these go back and forth between the two, the voice of Christ, the disciple, and so on. Because this is very much a sort of devotional book, a wisdom book, and a way of trying to develop the image of Christ within and that's why it's called The Invitation of Christ. So in this particular entry, 42 on page 103, peace is not to be placed in men or in humankind. This particular one is only from the voice of Christ with no other entries from other points of view. The voice of Christ. My child, if you place your peace in any creature because of your own feeling or for the sake of his company, you will be unsettled and entangled. But if you have recourse to the ever-living and abiding truth, capital T there, you will not grieve if a friend should die or forsake you. Your love for your friend should be grounded in me, and for my sake, you should love whoever seems to be good and is very dear to you in this life. Without me, friendship has no strength and cannot endure. Love, which I do not bind, is neither true nor pure. You ought, therefore, to be so dead to such human affections as to wish as far 
as lies within you, to be without the fellowship of men. Man draws nearer to God in proportion as he withdraws further from all earthly comfort, and he ascends higher to God as he descends lower into himself and grows more vile in his own eyes. He who attributes any good to himself hinders God's grace from coming into his heart. For the grace of the Holy Spirit seeks always the humble heart. If you knew how to annihilate yourself completely and empty yourself of all created love, then I should overflow in you with great grace. When you look to creatures, the sight of the Creator is taken from you. Learn, therefore, to conquer yourself in all things for the sake of your Maker. Then you will be able to attain to divine knowledge. But anything, no matter how small, that is loved and regarded inordinately, keeps you back from the highest good and corrupts the soul. Many things that Thomas Akempis talks about are the corruptions of the earth and of nature and of the sinful body or the sinful ways of the human ways, as opposed to the higher virtuous ways of God and the spiritual life. You do see a lot of dualism and dichotomy there. Other things you'll see are ways he encourages the people of the common life to rid themselves of things that separate themselves from God and purity and to rid themselves of those things or try to keep far away from temptations and things of the world. There's a kind of phobia about it in his work. So when you read, if you get a chance to read this work, read it with graciousness and openness to a time that's much different from our own, and you can still gain quite a bit of good wisdom from it, even though it's not the context from which you are a part of, and it's not a time from which you are a part of. But it shows some remarkable wisdom dispensed to a community longing to imitate the life and ministry and ways of Christ, longing to be good people, doing good things in the world, and living holy lives. These things, of course, are never easy, and there are many things that draw us away from this sort of life. Even when you live in a religious community, it doesn't make it any easier. In fact, it probably makes it harder, because the more you concentrate on it, probably the more those weaknesses and faults are accentuated. As we near the time of celebrating Jesus' birth, and even if you aren't celebrating Jesus' birth and you're from no religious background or a different religious background than Christianity. I hope you will take the time to take a little bit of an inventory of your life, the good and the bad, and decide what you would like to cast away and what you would like to embrace. The people who listen to this show are people who want to improve their lives, improve their inner world, and improve their relationships. And to do that, we have to keep reminding ourselves that it makes sense to take an inventory, makes sense to keep progressing in those directions and not give up on ourselves and not give up the hope of something greater and not give up that there is hope of improvement and that there is one who is love, who desires this for us as well. Just like when we are at our best, we love and accept people just how they are. 
We also don't want them to stay unhealed and miserable (laughs) and not their optimal selves if possible. We want them to grow and be joyful and live their best lives. That is what the divine wishes for us. Blessings to you in this season and into the next year. I will be back next week with something new. Thank you so much for listening. Please stop by sparkmymuse.com for more.